0: Welcome to the Frequency 49 show, I'm Paul MacDonald. In this week's episode, Brian, Gary and Deepak are talking with former 49ers long snapper Brian Jennings. Known as one of the funniest and most consistent players in 49ers organisation through the 2000s and into the last decade, and also known for some of the best player profile pictures over the years and for entertaining 49ers fans on KNBR most recently, welcome to the show, Brian Jennings.
1: Thanks, glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah, my pl- pleasure.
0: Excellent. So what were your thoughts about being drafted by the 49ers in the seventh round of the 2000 draft?
2: Wow. So going back to when I was drafted, um, I was really happy to be drafted. I was surprised the 49ers picked me because I had a quick interview with a couple of the coaches at the time and uh, one of the scouts. But I, really I thought I was going to be drafted by uh, a couple of other teams. So when they passed on me, my phone started ringing, and uh, you know, before I knew it, Steve Mariucci called me on the phone, and he said, are you ready to be our long snapper and uh, tight end moving forward? And I said yes, and it's funny because I actually accidentally hung up on him. At the time, I, had a, I think I had a flip phone. And so I jumped up, and I uh, you was know, so excited, and I shut the phone off. So fortunate, And then I saw my name go across the ticker on the television of being drafted, and so I was so excited, and then uh, they called me back and they told me I got a mini camp the next weekend. So uh, with about, I don't know, probably 45 seconds to uh, two minutes, it got really serious to me, right? So we're gonna go, uh, we're gonna go practice next weekend. and uh, you know, the, being drafted to me meant I had the opportunity to get destroyed and embarrassed by the best football players in the world and sent home. <laughs> So yeah, so draft day was a big day full of emotion.
3: Did you have a team that you secretly wanted to be drafted by? Or were the 49ers like,
2: yeah, that'll do? (laughs) So I grew up (laughs) watching the 49ers. So when I was a kid, the 49ers were, I watched Michael Jordan basketball. Um, I watched, uh, Notre Dame football on Saturdays and I watched 49ers. Hey, <laughs> so that was my dad's deal. Uh, my dad's from Chicago and he was a Green Bay Packers fan. So I'm not real sure how that happened. Um, but he's not, he's kind of a weird guy. Um, <laughs> the 49ers were just the best team. So I feel like I've never really been a fanatic about sports. I love the best teams and the best players because they make what they're doing beautiful. Um, you know, just like anything, like a great piece of music, uh, great pe- a great athlete, a uh, great business leader. I, You know, I love people that are at the top of their game and really setting the standard for an industry. And so, you know, for me, it was the 49ers. I liken myself to be a combination of Brent Jones and Ronnie Lott. Um, and so that was kind of my, my attitude growing up playing sports. When I played basketball, I imagined myself being Michael Jordan. When I played football, I imagined myself really being Ronnie Lott, right? Mm -hmm. So a physical player. Um, and you know, so to be drafted by them, I'd say for any, but more than anything, I would say was intimidating because there was, you know, such a legendary organization
3: I can imagine that, what that must feel like, even just simply the thrill of, of getting drafted and then being drafted by, you know, a marquee team in the NFL. Um, right. You're also listed as a tight end. Did you ever line up on the offensive side of the football for the Niners?
2: Yeah, so my first four or five years, I played in the games at uh, tight end. So I'd always be our third or fourth tight end going into the season. And then depending on injured, I'd, I, injuries, I'd play some, I'd play some games. So I learned the whole offense. I practiced with the offense uh, all the way through 2009. Uh, I practiced with the offense. I, you know, learned. We, we had some great offensive coaches during that time. Mm. So Marty Morningwig, uh, great offensive mind. Uh, didn't have a great run as a head coach, but you know, there's no doubt he's a he's a, he's a genius offensive coordinator. Um, through Mike Martz was with us for a couple years. Uh, you know, Mike McCartney, who's obviously has Green Bay, uh, at the, playing at a high level on offense, um, North Turner. So, and then obviously Giro and, uh, and Jim Harbaugh. So, I was around some great offensive minds. I was, you know, learned from what I consider the best. Um, specifically, early in my career, I was really raised in being a great, great play, uh how to be a pro football player. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I had the chance to practice and play on offense, the, specifically the first four or five years of my career.
1: Brian, the long snapper often goes unnoticed until mistakes happen. I think a good pacing point for that is. The 2012 wild card game with uh, against the Giants with the trade Junkins snap. Would you right. say it's one of the most uh, unappreciated positions in football?
2: Yeah. So my kind of my kind of my joke is it's a terrible job, great life. So <laughs> you know you you there's no upside. You can never do well, basically, right? So all I, I have the burden of the I'm responsible for the ball while it's in the air. So if you're responsible for the ball while it's in the air, you can be fired for one play. Um, you know, whether it's a quarterback throwing interceptions or, you know, you see guys when they get sacked a lot, they start fumbling. Um, you see kickers miss kicks and they're fired immediately. Punters have, you know, so if you're drop punt snaps, you know, mishandle the ball. So if you're responsible for the ball when it's in the air, you know, you can it's a huge burden. It's a huge responsibility. And then and it, it, it's literally you could be fired for one incident. Mm. Right. So most players, you can't really be fired for one mistake. If you're responsible for the ball when it's in the air, you, you can be. And we play in all kinds of conditions. I would say for sure the most difficult conditions are, um, you know, when it's pretty cold to cool and wind. Wind is the number one factor that affects football. And particularly in candlestick, you know, it gets pretty windy. It's, uh, you know, the swirling winds, damp, cool conditions. So if you can snap there, you can snap anywhere. But, yeah, so it's not, not a lot of upside for a long snapper. But uh, great life. You get to be a part of it. You get to play football for a long time. Uh, you know, so there's they can't say enough about the, the great life it provides you. But the job is awful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Excellent. Um, we've got some fan questions from our Facebook page. Um, the first one's from Andy Mitchell. He says, um, how do you go about becoming a long snapper? Is it a case somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I've got the perfect role for you?
2: Yeah, so actually, was, uh, uh when I was in high school, I played. You know, I didn't. I was a baseball player all growing up. So I thought I was going to be a pro baseball player all growing up. And uh, then I switched to football. Football fit my uh, fit my temperament better. When I was in high school, I was a pretty uh, confrontational guy. Uh, really liked the physical aspect of the game. And so my senior year of high school, we needed a long snapper, and my coach told me. Uh, he said, you know, we're having long snapper tryouts, Jennings. You know, you think you can do it. You know, you grew up playing. You you, you have a baseball background. Maybe you can do it. And I said, uh, Coach, I appreciate it. I start on offense. I'm our tight end. I start on defense as a linebacker. Uh, you know, I'm going to pass on the whole uh, long snapper thing. I'm a football player. You know, I appreciate it, but uh, no chance. And then I ended up walking on at Arizona State. I was, I was in fact, insulted that he would even offer me. <laughs> The idea of being a long snapper, and so then the next year I walked down at Arizona State, uh, got injured my first year uh, playing tight end, and then during my rehab, just joking around, I snapped the ball, and the punter and the kickers and the snapper at the time were all standing around. They're like, "Hey, you're pretty good at that. Uh, you should be a long snapper." So yeah, thanks guys, but I'm a football player. You know, pass. <laughs> And I was insulted that the idea that I would be a long snapper because I was an athlete. I was a football player. I was the reason why we won. What are you talking about? And what's funny is the more I thought about it and the more I, I sat on it, the more it was like a great way for me to earn a scholarship and to get on the plane and to get travel with the team and to play in the games. And then by the time I was a junior or a senior, I'd be able to play tight end. And it started to seem like more of a good idea. Um, to the point where if I, didn't start pra- if I didn't practice long snapping that day, I couldn't sleep at night. So it really became um, like, a, like a, I don't even know how to describe it, like, like an absolute calling for me that I was like, it was, I needed to become the best long snapper in the world and then I would be able to play tight end and that was really what I wanted to do. And so it was against my own will that I became a long snapper, uh, <laughs> but then fortunately I did.
3: Brian, I just want to touch on that. Did you actually, this is a tricky question to ask you, but did you actually enjoy the role of being a long snapper and the enormous amount of pressure that's put on you because nobody remembers you when you do your job correctly? Like you said earlier, one mistake and right. you're fired. So did you right. actually enjoy and relish being a long snapper?
2: I love the pressure and the competition and the, and the I love being in the game. So I loved um, continuing my athletic career because that's what I loved about sports was the pressure and being clutch and never messing up. And, you know, my mentality was the harder it is, the better I am. Um, you know, and I, lo- I like it tough. You know, that was my mentality. But as far as being a long snapper, I hated it. Um, I would say I was probably in the NFL between, you know, four to six years before I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. But my whole college career, my first five years in the NFL, I was like, long snapping is terrible. Um, because the responsibility was so great, and then when you play defense, you get to hit guys. You get to you know sack the quarterback. You get to force fumbles. You get an occasional interception. Good stuff can happen, right? Like you can really affect the game mm. when you're playing tight end. You know you can you can block guys. You get to you know uh, make make room for your running back. You get to double team with the tackle. You get to knock guys down. You get to run routes. You get to catch the ball. Um, you know, I never scored in the NFL, but like when you play tight end, you get to score a you know, touchdown. There's upside, yeah. uh, tight long snapper. There's no upside. And so it was a huge burden for me. And I didn't, re- I didn't like long snapper position at all. Um, you know, for my first, you know, probably four or five years in the NFL, I was like, this is a terrible deal. Um, it, but I loved the competition. I loved it tough. I loved, you know, all that stuff. And then as my career went on, I really started to enjoy the process. I really started to love the preparation. I really started to enjoy um, everything about it. Uh, But yeah, for a long time, you know, it was, it was, uh, I had, I had really bad feelings about it.
3: Brian, I just wanted to ask you a question. Uh, It's a little bit topical because as Cam Newton and his Carolina Panthers progressed to the Super Bowl, yeah. Now, I've read this article that he owes you $25,000 because yeah. of the Pro Bowl in 2012. Did he have a pay-up?
2: Yeah, no, so it's, a, it's, it's kind of a funny way. For, I, I think of uh, it's, it's a way for me to um, tell a, a story, a, a serious story in a funny way. So basically, the Pro Bowl, I think this week there's a draft for the Pro Bowl, right? So you guys,
0: yeah. is it
2: Wednesday or yeah, next week? Wednesday, Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday? So the reason why there's a draft for the Pro Bowl is because Cam Newton played so bad in the, in the Pro Bowl <laughs> that they changed the way they do the Pro Bowl now. And so I was at that Pro Bowl in 2011. I was, I was fortunate to play in the Pro Bowl twice in 2004 and then 2011. And in the 2011 Pro Bowl, um, the, the three quarterbacks for the NFC were um, – Aaron Rodgers with the Green Bay Packers, and it was his offensive staff that was coaching the game. So he knew the offense. It was just a you know a really um, simplified version of what they do in Green Bay. And then Drew Brees, and it was not his offense. So the whole week he walked around with his playbook and kind of I saw him, you know, before practice, reading through it and after practice and before the game. And Cam Newton was the third quarterback. So Cam Newton listened to his headphones all week. I don't even know if he looked in the playbook, and he just, like, didn't take it seriously. So when he went in there to play, he was throwing the ball all over the yard. We ended up punting, like, five times in the <laughs> program. So, like, guys were, like, so my way of saying he owes me $25,000 basically means we lost because of Cam Newton, mm. and the difference between winning and losing is $25,000. And it's just a funny way for me to kind of say that. Yeah. but like Hall of Fame football players were cussing Cam Newton out of the sidelines <laughs> saying they were going to beat him up because he was like running around and throwing the ball and being an idiot. So like that was my good funny way of saying like Cam Newton played terrible. And the proof is, right, like they changed the way the Pro Bowl for the rest from now on. So the Pro Bowl is now there's a whole different system and there's a draft and it's a whole different thing because Cam Newton played so bad in that game. So that was my way of making light of it. But I think it was funny. Cam Newton knows me $25,000. (laughs) dollars we got another
0: question from Matt Haley, who pretty much just asked, um, was it fun to stare at Andy Lee upside down through your legs as a profession?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I see the world upside down. Um, So, yeah, so fortunately, you know, I got a chance to play with Andy for, for a long time, for nine years. And, uh, He is. He's a fun guy. So, you know, I think athletically we're really similar. We have a baseball background. And so in practice, we would goof off a little bit and have fun and, um, you know, sometimes do poorly to our coaches uh, lack of amusement. They didn't think it was very funny because like to us, I've I've always feel like practice is where you try stuff, Mm. you know. And so every day is a different day. You don't know how the ball is going to come out. You don't know you know how you're feeling. And so you try stuff in practice. Um, and Andy has the same mentality. So he'd hit real low punts. He'd hit real high punts. Um, you know, he'd have a good day. He'd have a bad day. And then on game day, you got to do well. So we had a real similar disposition and attitude about practice. And then game day was real serious. Uh, you know, you that's when you perform. You perform at a high level. And every game day is different. So you could have a game where the weather's real bad. And you're like, okay, you know, this is a good snap for me, you know, anything above his knee is a good snap. And Andy could be like, okay, this is a good punt for me. Anything, you know, past 35 yards or, you know, anything outside the numbers or whatever you decide is a good day. And then it's not always what your coaches are telling you to do. So I think one of the reasons why Andy and I were able to be so successful is because we were coachable, but really we were so results, our mentality was so focused on the result. That we were willing to go outside of the constraints of what we were coached to do to get the result. Um, and then at the end we watched the film and we get graded well, but on the sideline we're getting yelled at, and in practice we're getting yelled at and things like that. Because, you know, we were just, we had an idea, we had a similar temperament about what it meant to play well and what it meant to have a good result. Um, and so it was really, really fun to play with him for a long time. And uh, you know, we went to the Pro Bowl, he went to the Pro Bowl a bunch, he was all pro, I think, one or two years. Uh, you know, made him one of the one of the. We helped make him one of the uh, richest punters in the NFL. I was one of the richest NFL <laughs> snappers in the NFL. So, mm. you know what we were doing was working, even though our coaches didn't always appreciate it.
0: You probably don't remember this, but I recognized you when you came to London in 2010 and had a picture with you at Heathrow Airport. Um, But Steve Panda Richardson asked, did people recognize you when you're out in Hawaii going to the Pro Bowl uh, with Andy Lee and David Akers? Or did you guys just kind of get left alone going down on the beach and and getting your heads in the playbooks whilst everyone else took all the the media attention and all the fans attention away from you guys?
2: Well, yeah. So when you're at the Pro Bowl, for sure, the biggest stars are getting the most attention. But everyone's looking for guys, you know, NFL guys. Um, I would say. Uh, Andy and I golfed um, so on the golf course you don't get a lot of attention other than in the pro shop like people will be like hey you know Um, and then we went to the beach a couple times so uh, you know I it's it's an environment so when I went to the Pro Bowl in 2011 uh, was with my wife I was then so the first Pro Bowl in 2004 was with my family my nuclear family my parents my siblings and then my 2011 it was my wife. So after the Pro Bowl in 2011, we went uh, on a family vacation um, after that for the next week after that. So the Pro Bowl is not really a vacation. Um, It's still the next week of your season. You know, there's fans, there's teammates. You know, you still – it's not a regular season game, but it's more like a regular season practice or scrimmage. Um, Yeah, there it is. (laughs) So uh, – So, yeah, so, you know, and then after after the Pro Bowl, it's nice to go on a vacation because, you know, your, your season's officially over.
3: Um, Brian, I just want to change direction completely. Okay, so I'm an, I'm an endurance athlete in training, so I've got a couple of marathons coming up this year. And uh, I'm interested well. about your diet, that you're uh, sustaining yourself on whole grains and beef and shelling poultry, chicken, that kind of stuff. Is there, is there any truth to that?
2: Yeah, so I have a pretty unique diet, uh, which I recommend. Uh, You know, I recommend that people eat food, not filth. Uh, I recommend that you eat mostly plants. And then when you eat meat, it should be mostly red meat. So beef, buffalo, lamb, uh, red meat. Uh, Fish is great if you can find fish uh, that is not, uh, you know, mm, how do I say it? Uh, It doesn't have like heavy metals in it. Um, You know, fish that is you know, clean fish. Like uh, so yeah. So yeah. No. So that would be, you know, I would say avoid pork at all times, at all costs, no matter what, never eat pork, never have a bite of pork. Um, you know, so they have pork is uh, not fit for human consumption. Um, unless it's a survival situation, right? If you're going to die or eat pork, I like eat pork. <laughs> um, but there's uh, retroviruses <laughs> in pork. So basically pork, it uh, has retroviruses in it. So it the, you eat pork, and uh, the viruses become whatever you can't def- defend against as an immune system, and it becomes a disease that kills you. So, you should never have pork. Um, so chicken is a terrible source of uh, essential fats, um, and it's really a diseased animal. You would never eat pork or chicken raw. So, um, you could eat vegetables raw, you can eat red meat raw, you can eat fish raw. Uh, you would never eat pork or chicken raw, so you should never eat it cooked because you're just eating cooked viruses and bacteria. <clears throat> yeah, so I have just, strong feelings on the subject, and I recommend <laughs> that everyone avoid pork and chicken. Bacon tastes so good, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you'll die. from you know, but if, 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 Like heroin feels good. <laughs> <laughs> <A> Try <lot of, laughs> bacon to if heroin. You live, that's a, that's how you feel, if you live your life, life based on how you feel, um, then you're going to not live a very long, prosperous life. Right. So like I have kids, they're five, three and like a newborn, right. They have to be trained on what to do. Cause if they just did what they wanted to, what felt good, they would never go to school. Um, they would eat candy all day long. You know what I mean? So it's the same for adults. If you just do what you feel like, then you're not going to be, not have a very long, prosperous life.
3: Right. Brian, I'm with you on all of those things because I dropped 100 pounds and I'm in my late 40s and I've done multiple marathons and changed my life because wow. of diet change and exercise. Well, the question I wanted to ask you and sort of drill down to is um, your change in diet. Did you start, Were you always on that diet when you were an athlete or did you change a diet at any point when you became a professional and then noticed differences in terms of your performance and your mindset and attitude generally because you changed diet?
2: Yeah, so I would say, um, like, throughout the course of my life, my diet has changed uh, pretty pretty significantly. Um, why, when in 2004, 2005, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue my career because I was pretty miserable. Um, you know, physically, I got banged up a lot during my first few years in the NFL, uh, barely scraped by to finish the season, spent my whole off-season kind of rehabbing and trying to get back into shape. I had a bunch of weird stuff going on, and that was the first time I really cleaned up my diet. Um, and then I was able to—and I started seeing you know, different non-traditional healthcare people that helped me understand how to nourish my body. So there's a difference between diet and nutrition. So yeah. I just don't believe in the paradigm of you know, protein, carbs, fats, and like you're not the sum of your calories. I don't believe in that. I think you need to nourish your body with healthy living food. Um, and then, um, you know, you can reduce inflammation. I think inflammation is the biggest killer of, of quality of life. So yeah. you need to eat things that don't promote inflammation. So, um, you know, and around that era is when I really be, met with some people that were able to turn me on to, you know, what it meant to take care of yourself and diet. And I feel like that bought me a few years in the NFL. And then even now in the last two years since I stopped playing, you know, really started, just eating less food I think has been my first huge challenge because when you're playing and you're training, you just eat so much food. Like you're burning thousands of calories a day, lifting weights, uh, the, you know, the physical stress of playing football. You need to eat so many calories to repair that it took me a couple of years to break my metabolism so I could eat a reasonable amount of food in a day um, as opposed to when I was playing. So my whole mentality towards food has absolutely been evolving and growing to where, you know, my goal is to live as long as possible. Now it's a whole different goal than playing football. So it's really getting my daily, um, you know, eating, eating food that's alive, eating good, nutritious food, nour- nourishing my body, avoiding inflammation, and then really get, starting to get uh, physically lighter, um, eat less food, um, you know, uh, carry less body weight.
3: You know, for me, the effect was profound. And it's not just my body that changed, but my attitude changed as well. Um, But I can talk on about endurance athletes and how we eat forever and ever. Um, One of the questions that we wanted to ask you, and you touched upon wind as being a really horrible condition for a long snapper. And this question comes from Neil Jepsen. And um, so we know about the wind being awful. But which was your favorite stadium to play in? When you, well, when you, when so you play our home of. games,
2: Candlestick, I would say being at home is the best. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel – so it's tough conditions, but it's tougher on them than it is on us because we're more used to it. Um, so obviously home home crowd, home stadium, uh, you know, is, is the best. Um, but as far as on the road – I would say there's a few NFL stadiums that you have to experience. Um, You know, if you really get a sense for what it means to play football and be in the NFL, when you play, um, you know, at, um, you know, it's really, really hard to win against the giants at their MetLife stadium in New Jersey. That's a great place to go to, 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 to play football. It's kind of, you know, the, the center of it all and kind of, um, I would say Lambeau field is absolutely a place where, you know, if you get a chance to watch a game, you have to go, there's something magical there's something mystical about it. It's like football sacred ground. Um, I would say that, uh, at Seattle is a place that you have to see a football game. It's so deafening loud and it's a different kind of loud. Um, arrowhead gets loud, but, Seattle, there's something about the tone of it. It like penetrates you. Um, It's just a really great place to watch football. Um, You know, those are, you know, the Steelers. If you go to, everybody has on a jersey. So there's, I don't know, there's a culture and there's an energy about playing in Pittsburgh. There's a few stadiums, you know, Lambeau and Pittsburgh and Seattle and New York um, that you really, it's like, it's what the NFL is all about.
1: Brian, just a question from Cat Victorino. Um, Would you ever consider coaching in the NFL at all?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would love to, uh, but I don't think it's for me right now. Um, I feel like uh, I really feel inspired to do concussion care centers. So when I retired, I I dedicated my time and energy to building concussion care center. You can find us at concussioncare.com where I'm helping people recover from post-concussion syndrome. So whether in the military, we have veterans that are in our program, athletes, people that are in car accidents. And so when I was in the NFL, I feel like the best thing that I did was I learned how to recover from injuries. And what I want to do is take that and help people uh, who are suffering from concussions uh, recover and rehabilitate those injuries to get their, their, their future back. So coaching, I love football. I love to coach. I love to coach special teams specifically. Um, but, you know, I need to do this thing first. Sure. And how would you say that someone does actually
0: recover from a concussion? I, I guess there's obviously different aspects of serious concussions, mild concussions, but at the end of the day, concussion is concussion. It's obviously a very serious issue in the NFL right now. So how yeah. would you kind of deal with that in, in what you're doing in, in the setup, in, in, the, in the work and
2: career that you're doing now? Yeah, and the easy way to talk about it for this conversation is in the realm of sports. So the first thing you need to do is rule out a more severe injury. So if you have a skull fracture or a brain bleed, that you need to have that addressed at an emergency department or a hospital where they can make sure you live. After you rule out a more severe injury, and it's a, a post-concussion syndrome. So there's a blow to the head. What happens is the neural network where the way your brain communicates is electrical. That neural network gets broken down. It rebuilds itself. It rebuilds in a different shape, a different speed, and a different amplitude. So where that change takes place in your brain deter- is, becomes your symptoms. So what that means basically is, is there's an electrical injury that takes place, and the symptoms are a result of where it takes place in your brain. So and doctors are great at structural and chemical injuries and modalities. So if you're in a car accident and you break bones, go to the emergency room and have them sew you back together and structurally, you know, they can put you back together. There's an entire massive industry of pharmaceutical drugs that can deal with any chemical issues. You know, they basically, if you get cancer, you can survive because of drugs, because Mm -hmm. of what they're able to do, uh, you know, with with chemicals. And uh, concussions are different. Concussions are electrical injuries, neural network change, and the way that you recover from those injuries is you have to use all electrical modalities. Um, And so that's what our clinic does, and that's what we do, is we help people rebuild their neural network so their symptoms go away, and they no longer need to take their meds, and they can get on on with their life.
3: Brian, um, just to follow up on the concussion side of things, uh, I've watched the movie, I've read the book, and it's horrifying. Um, I'm talking about Webster from the Pittsburgh Steelers, his life, it just, yep. I, I just froze. Now, is there a happy medium that the National Football League can continue to deliver, being cynical here, its entertainment package, mm-hmm. whilst making sure that its players can have a safe and full life after football without having to live like um, Keith Webster did at the Pittsburgh Steelers? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't really believe in happy mediums. Um, I feel like football is a fight game, you know, like UFC and boxing. And if the NFL wants their game to be the biggest game, they need to keep the violence. So if you want, you can't take punching out of boxing. You can't take hitting out of football. What do you, you, know, what right. do you have? You have rugby or, you know, not rugby. There's hitting and there's concussions, but it's a different game um, or soccer, right? It's a different game. So what makes football unique is it's a fight game. Um, it's a violent game. A group of men go out and they physically run into each other. But in boxing, you use your fists. In football, you use your helmet. So you can't have football in the way we've known it um, and deteriorate that, take that part of it away. And so I love fight games. I believe in fight games. I think, um, you know, people have the right to, you know, fight mixed martial arts. You have the right to fight boxing. You have the right to fight football. And so. You know, I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think that you know, um, you know, it's it, people don't love being punched in the face. If you don't love being punched in the face, don't fight. You know, don't <laughs> play football. Um, but if you're going to play football, you know, you're going, you're in for a fight. So, uh, you know, that's my mentality. I think the NFL strategically is making a mistake. Um, I think the way they're trying to water down their game and find a happy medium ultimately is going to result in something ascending and passing football as the number one sport in the United States.
1: Just going back to some happier times, uh, when you uh, left the 49ers, (laughs) it was like like the end of an era because you were the last guys on the team to play with Jerry Rice and Brian Young. Um, What's your sort of memories of those days?
2: So um, I was fortunate to be in the building with the 49ers with Bill Walsh, McVay, McPherson, uh, you know, some of the great players from the 90s, Ken Norton Jr., uh, you know, B.Y., uh, Junior Bryant was, uh, you know, and so the great offensive line, uh, you know, Jerry Rice, obviously, you know, one of my all-time favorite guys I ever played with, um, you know, all the, uh, Garrison Hurst is one of my absolute favorite teammates, uh, Garrison and Charlie Gardner uh, were running backs when Tom Rathman was a young Upstart running back (laughs) coach. So they give him the business constantly, right? So now he's, you know, Tom Rathman, legendary player, legendary coach. So guys don't really give him the business that he got one of my first couple years. But I'm used to him mostly being made fun of by his players. Uh, Um, So it's really interesting to, you know, so my first couple years in the NFL, I was raised to be a pro football player. Um, You know, coming out of Arizona State, I didn't really have a super serious mentality about the game, um we love at at asu we love to compete we love to fight we love to win um but you know kind of you know it's kind of a party atmosphere you know there's a certain mentality of guy that goes to asu and uh you know there's they like to fight um and they like to have fun and so when you go to pro football um you know, the fun has to be a lot of steps away from the fight. It has to be. You got, you got to be a pro. You got to be a pro. You got to be a pro. You got to win. You got to win. You got to win. And then you can have some fun in the offseason maybe if you have some time. And so, for me, before when I did ASU, it was more 50-50. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and when I got to the 49ers, there was no doubt we were we were we were there to put a trophy in the case. And those coaches and players and, and, and uh, you know that front office absolutely had an influence on my life and the man that I became and the husband that I am and the father that I am um, because I found out what it was to be uh, an adult, what it meant to be serious, what it meant to take something seriously and work hard at it and not make excuses and not laugh it off. And, you know, it's not funny. Um, And so I absolutely was hugely influenced by that group. Mm. And sort of following up from that then, how hard was it to go from that group of
0: coaches and that group of players into that kind of spiral downwards that we kind of saw in the mid-2000s where it was right. kind of painful to watch at times?
2: Well, so I was raised to play football a certain way, and I kept doing <laughs> it. So I was able to sign more contracts and stay in the NFL for a long time when there was so much change around me because I kept doing what I was trained to do. I kept preparing. I kept influencing my teammates. I kept saying the right stuff. I kept doing the right stuff on the, on the, on the field. And the thing that I found, um, you know, is there's such a huge gap between, uh, you know, co- winning coaching. Uh, if you coaches, I believe in coaching. I believe in leadership. I know when you get it, and you know how to win, and can create a competitive advantage, and how to get your team to do what you, what, you know, what, what a win. That's there's a way that you do that. There's a way that coaches lead. Um, and then when that's missing, you can't win. You just cannot – the way you approach everything. The mm. You know, sitting on – the so on Wednesday is when we do our install for the Sunday game. So sitting in that meeting, the way they describe the defense, the way they ins- to talk about how good the opponent is and what we're going to do to beat them. Right there you know if you have a chance to win that week or not. In the first hour of Wednesday, you know we either – we're scouting them accurately and these are the things that win and we're going to do those things or – This isn't making a lot of sense to me. I'm watching the film. This is kind of how they're playing, not what they said. And then these are the plays that we're going to run. But I don't know why, because it doesn't really beat what we're going to see. Mm. I don't know how it's going to go. So, uh, you know, I absolutely believe that the hope determines effort. (laughs) So, you know, if you know you're going to win, you're going to play different than if you feel like, I don't know if these guys know what they're doing um and so yeah so there's a huge contrast if you look at our record the years we were two and 14 or six and 10 or whatever our records were there's a reason um you know and it's and i believe in coaching i believe in leadership and so i think they should get all the credit um you know a lot of the credit you know and they get a lot of the responsibility when it doesn't go well yeah absolutely um i was lucky enough
0: to spend some time at the grove um in london during your visit in 2010 and -hmm. kind of Um, was sort of milling around when the the practice was going on and you special teams guys you've got it pretty good in the practice from what I saw. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at the time too so
2: (laughs) we were even more checked out. So yeah so um, you know I I feel like you know I got the opportunity to play golf quite a bit while I was there. I played Royal St. George. I played the Grove a couple times. Uh, You know so that was such a great experience such a great time. Um, My wife uh, my mother-in-law is English so she's been able to hold on to her English accent mostly for, you know, most of 30 or 40 years. Yeah. So, yeah. So hopefully I'll be able to get it back out there with my family. Um, you know, I love the United Kingdom in that area. Um, but yeah, we had a great trip. And, uh, you know, I love the golf, I love the stadium. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think we, we won that week. We beat Eric Mangini's Broncos, I think, that week. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Denver. Yeah. So they, uh, they flew in, I think, on Friday. So we flew in after the Carolina game and our worst day. So you're so jet lagged, right? So like 36 hours after you get there, you're like smoked. Yeah. So that's when they had to play. <laughs> so, so how we were feeling on Tuesday is how they were feeling on game day. So we, we felt like we had a pretty good chance that week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so just going on from that, what was
2: your memories of London? Did you have a good time while you were here? Yeah. So my son Jackson was born. So <laughs> this is, we were, he's, he was like three weeks early and he was like, you know, came out to, to hang and, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, unfortunately for me, uh, we were just moving from the Grove to the hotel that we stayed at downtown. Um, and I called my wife and she said, Oh, I had our baby. And I was like, you know, is everything okay? Like, what do you mean? So yeah. And then. You know, so then I walked around London for a few hours and then we played the next day. <laughs> and then I went home to see my, my new baby. But yeah, so, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we had a great trip and, um, you know, it's fun. So it's fun to explore. I played in any every NFL city. I played in Mexico City. I played in Japan. I played in London. So I got to explore a lot of really cool places. Um, and for sure, uh, we had a great trip uh, when we were out there. Excellent.
3: Brian, what do you think of the the chances of uh, well the dynamics of an NFL franchise in London which seems to be getting a lot more traction in terms of speculation. the NFL' is thinking of putting a team here. What's your feelings on that?
2: It'll be interesting to see logistically you know how they're able to do it. Um, you know and I think if you if you look at let's take let's take Jacksonville for an example. So if they keep their facilities in Jacksonville and they play let's say four games or six games, or eight games would be a full schedule in London. So then that's their home stadium, and that's they're the home team. But they would still have to have a home base in Jacksonville for their roster moves for their offseason. Uh, yeah. Well, not necessarily for their off season. They could do their off season in London, but they would like their training camp, for example, would have to be like in Jacksonville. So if you think through um, how they could make that happen. I think they could do it. I think um, you know it could it could be a way of of growing the NFL and and and, you know uh, having team in London makes sense to me. Is you know it it seems like they would have to have a facility uh, you know on the East Coast somewhere for their training camp for their roster moves for their you know some of their some of the some of the stuff that they do, but you know for their away games. Right, They would have to stay um, at their facility to play their away schedule. But I think they could do it. So I just wanted to touch
0: on uh, the Super Bowl in New Orleans. What was going through your guys' mind and what was being said when that power outage was going on? Because it was crazy. I mean, we didn't know what was going on. Obviously, we're 5,000 miles away over here, so we're even less kind of in the know about what's going on. And it was just just seemed to be chaos so that, that this could actually happen on you know a, a, an event that the whole world is watching.
2: Well, what, apparently you... you've never played for Jim Harbaugh, so <laughs> <laughs> so I love Jim. I love playing for him. And uh, the year before, the power went out while we were playing Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, yes. So kind of everything and ev- anything and everything happens when you play for Jim. Um, and so for the power for the team to for the game to be going that poorly. And for the power to shut off or the building to fall down wouldn't was isn't terribly surprised. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, kind of you know, so immediately I thought, great, let's go home. We'll play this next week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this isn't an official game. We got to go. Like we'll play again. Let's try again tomorrow. Um, you know, because it, was, it wasn't going well for us. And, uh, you know, but then, you know, for me, it was third and twelve. So I'm sitting here thinking, I'll be damned if we lose the Super Bowl because we come out of this thing and punt and they block it and score and, like, the game's officially over. Yeah. Right? So I was sitting there, like, on the 40-yard line, like, out by the numbers on the field, you know, with Andy. And we're looking. There's 50 guys with suits on in the middle of the field. And you can smell burned plastic in the air. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know, I really hope this game gets called. You know, that would be the best. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, for our team, right? Then we get to win the Super Bowl yeah, another sure. time. Yeah, yeah, you know, is. This isn't going well. Um, but they're probably going to figure this out, and then we're going to punt. So let's be ready to go. And it was, what, 35, 40 minutes, right?
0: Yeah, at least that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So
2: we were sitting around, and then at some point down there, um, I don't know if you guys have – um, there's a commercial from Buffalo but Wild Wings here in the United States where basically – The premise of the commercial is they rig games to last longer so they can keep eating wings and drinking beer. (laughs) So, like, my joke was, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings really got over on us here (laughs) by (laughs) shutting the power off so, like, they can sell more wings and beer. Um, So, yeah, so there were a few minutes of levity. Um, You know, it never occurred to me it was like a terrorist attack until, like, late, like, the next day. I was just like, well, maybe that was like a failed attempt of like you know a terrorist attack of the Super Bowl right Mm. but at the time I was pretty much wrapped up in you know doing a good job in the game and you know seeing if we were going to if the game was going to be called or if we were going to go but for sure uh, the next day Andy and I were the most sore that we've ever been trying to keep staying warm and warming up and getting ready to go for an extra 40 minutes uh, seemed to to really take it out of us but yeah yeah, so it was a weird deal what, what were your thoughts on the Jim Harbaugh situation in San Francisco? Well, you know, I think I've established that I believe in coaching. I believe in leadership. And if you want to win, you need a great coach. Yeah. So, you know, I think he's an unusual person. And, you know, a lot of the things that make him an unusual guy make him a great coach. And so you can't always have one without the other. So if you're so I love I love great coaching. I love having an advantage on game day. I love winning football um and so you got to be pretty 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 weird guy for me to not be in agreement with someone that is uh you know giving us an advantage every week Mm. um so yeah so you know i feel like you know jim is doing great at university of michigan and i think the 49ers are going to be able to uh sort through the process and get a staff in place to where they start competing and winning championships again as well
1: yeah i think we all agree with that yeah so uh, just moving on from that what's your thoughts on the chip kelly hire Are you a fan
2: I'm excited. I think it's a great hire. I think, you know, getting a, getting a guy with his, uh, I believe in offense. So I think everything in the office. Op- so when I first got to the 49ers, the whole organization was designed for the quarterback to be successful. That's the way I, that's my football philosophy. That's my organizational philosophy. So when you have a, uh, a, a head coach that can make your offense productive, you've got a chance right now we're you know, if let's, let's average more than 20 points a game. We've got a chance. So I'm excited to see how he fills out the rest of his staff. Um, but I would say that, um, you know, it's a, it's a great hire. It's an exciting hire. I think he's going to take a lot of what he learned at the Eagles. So when he was a college coach at, at Oregon, you know, he had a lot of ideas of the stuff he would do in the NFL. And then he got, actually went to the NFL. So now with that real-world experience, he gets to go to the 49ers and tweak some of his ideas and ideals that he had at Oregon and actually uh, build, build a team and build a staff to win football games. So I think it's a great hire for the 49ers, I think the future's bright.
3: Excellent.
2: Who have you got for the Super Bowl Sunday, uh, Sunday after next? Well, it looks like the Panthers look like the best team, don't they? They look fantastic so, to watch. So, yeah, you know, watching the games over the course of the last uh, month or so, uh, you know, it seems like the Broncos are hanging on by a thread. Um, other than uh, their defense absolutely dismantled the Patriots, which was shocking to watch. Tom Brady's offensive line just get run through like that, mm. but uh, you know I think uh, you know you could argue that the Patriots uh, you know weren't real strong with the injuries they've had this year. Uh, they kind of limped into that game and they got you know they made it they made it close. They get got down to a two point conversion. So I don't know how great of a team uh, you know the Broncos are. Obviously they're you know one of the top two teams, but if you look at the Panthers. They look. They look stacked. They look. Their offense is hitting on all cylinders. Their defense is great. Their special teams is handling their business. So, you know, you can't imagine. Right now, sitting here today, I couldn't imagine uh, the Panthers not not winning this one. Excellent stuff. We'll really, really appreciate the time you spent with us
0: um, this evening, our time, and this morning, your time.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: And we'll let you get back on with your work for the rest of the day.
1: Brian, yes. do, you just, do you want to just promote your website again and uh, let our guys yeah. know if you've got a Twitter handle or anything where they can hit you up if they want to talk concussion or 49ers or anything football-related?
2: Yeah, so Facebook is the best. So our website is um, – so I'm Brian Jennings. You can see me at concussioncare.com. If you have any concerns about concussion rehabilitation or overcoming injuries, uh, you can visit our Facebook page, uh, Facebook care center concussion care center on facebook um and you know we have uh, we're doing amazing things to help people that are athletes motor vehicle accidents and military service recover from their injuries
1: excellent thank fantastic. you fantastic
2: yeah
0: i really appreciate the time brian thank you ever so much for that
2: yeah my pleasure that's it for this week's episode of the show
0: thanks to audionautix.com for the music you can follow us on twitter at frequency 49 and on facebook search the frequency 49 show on behalf of Brian Davis, Gary Rutledge, and Deepak Gohill, I've been Paul MacDonald, you've been the audience, and this has been the Frequency 49 Show. Bye for now.